So one of the things I love to do is tell a story about uh, Canyon Creek Church and how we started. Uh, we started, I mean, if you're, we're fairly new. I mean, we've been around for just a little over four years as Canyon Creek Church. And when I first came to this church and met the few people that were kind of holding it all up and super committed, uh, really missional, I, they all impressed me. But uh, the, the two people that uh, impressed me so much were uh, my friends Weston and Allison Stover. And Weston and Allison, if you got to know them, it was because you've been here for over three years. They, they transitioned to become missionaries to Africa. And they're one of the people that when they sense the call of God rest on their lives, they didn't just, you know, acknowledge that the calling was there. They actually made steps toward that calling. And that impressed me so much that they literally, I mean, they were constantly moving in that direction and in obedience to God. And, and they are making a huge difference. You're going to hear more about that in a moment. But uh, I just wanted to say that, you know, we consider you guys um, part of our home church, and Weston sent me a, a text back, and he said, yeah, we consider you guys our home church, too, and we just love you guys, and we love your family, and we just believe big, big things for you, and uh, it's really my pleasure to introduce to you uh, someone who used to host services here w before I spoke, and now I get to host the service and then pass it off to Weston, so uh, give Weston a big hand, and uh, Come on up. Allison, if you want to come up too, you sure can. <laughs> no? Okay. All right, Weston. Thanks. Appreciate Great it. Great to have you, man. Good this is my friend. <laughs> Morning. Um, yeah, my name is Weston. Uh, Allison's right here. She was, she missed part of the introduction of the last message, or the last service, because uh, she was hanging out in the car where she likes to hang out by herself. Um, no, the baby was sleeping. So, that's why she was out there, but we're, uh, we're so grateful to be back. So thanks for having us back and having us in this weekend, um, because this is home to us. I mean, we, I was part of this church for 10 years, and um, this is the first church that I came to after I started following Jesus. It was the first church that we came to as a married couple, um, and so we have so, much, so many roots and so, much, so many memories uh, in, this, in this place that we're, it's exciting to be back. Um, we're missionaries to Mozambique, and uh, when we first got to Mozambique a few years ago, we uh, were started to make relationships with pastors in, in the country, and one kind of, uh, pastor invited us to his church one Sunday. The problem was that he wasn't going to be at church on Sunday. He was out of town on a trip, and so uh, he told his wife, hey, look out for the Stovers, Weston and Allison. They're the new missionaries. They're going to be there and uh, make them feel welcome. So we went, and um, as is custom in Mozambique, when a missionary shows up at his service, they usually give him a couple minutes to like stand up and greet the church. And so we did that. And, and then that night, he got home from his trip, and he asked his wife, he said, hey, did you see the Stovers there? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, Weston was there. He got up, and uh, he, he greeted the church. It was great. And, and she's like, but I don't think Allison was there. But Weston did bring his daughter. <laughs> and it was at that point that we realized we needed to have a child. Because it was really embarrassing for Allison to get mistaken as my daughter. So we did have a kid. And uh, her name is Leona Kaur. And she's 11 months old. And right now she's downstairs. And we hope she stays down there. But we'll see. So she's wonderful. Um, we're excited for her to grow up in Africa. Uh, if you don't know where Mozambique is, I threw a map up on the screen for you. It's in Africa, okay? 
And uh, m most of Africa is this kind of off-white color, but luckily Mozambique is red, and so um, you, it's easy to spot on the, on the world. Okay, uh, we're down there in the lower right-hand corner. We live in a city of four million people. It's the capital city of Maputo, and uh, when, we, when we transitioned from here to there, we loved here, and when I was just like, I'm going to die. Four million people is four million people too many. And so, um, but God has just grown our hearts for that city. We love it. We love living there. We wouldn't trade it. And there's a lot of good things about it. There's a lot of good things about the country in general. It's Portuguese-speaking, and so uh, in Portuguese, they call it a terra de boa gente, which means the land of the good people. And we think it's true. We think Mozambicans are wonderful. Um, and it is a beautiful place. Uh, it is an extensive country. It's right on the Indian Ocean there, if you saw that. And, and the, the coastline is long as the west coast of the United States. So it looks small on a map. It's big. But for all that Mozambique has going for it, it also has a lot against it right now. Um, it's a former communist country, uh, which really took a toll on the different faiths that were present in the country. Um, if you look at the flag, actually, they're still, uh, they're formerly communist, like I said, and so they've actually renounced communism, but the flag still has the Marxist star there, and um, in many ways, it still operates like a communist nation. Uh, they declared independence in the mid-70s, okay? And since the mid-70s, one, one president after another has just plundered the country, totally robbed all the wealth from the people, and so it is billions and billions of dollars in debt. And all of the, a couple of years ago, all of the international um, finance, financiers <laughs> started pulling their investments out of Mozambique. And so the people are really, from an economic sense, really kind of hopeless uh, there. And then, uh, since the time of independence in the 70s, until the mid-90s, so for 20 years, the country was in civil war. And so we're really only 25 remove, years removed from uh, the Civil War, and there's still lots of people who remember the horrors of that time in Mozambique. And it's, so it's still, there's a lot of healing that needs to happen uh, and that hasn't happened yet. But all those things, um, as well as you might have noticed, seen in the news, there's been some cyclones that have hit recently. Uh, they've kind of combined to make the country the ninth poorest nation in the world, and uh, the eighth most corrupt nation on earth as well. Now, it's no surprise that the world is unjust. That doesn't surprise you, and I realize that, because you know that bad things often happen to good people. And uh, there are people in this church that are some of the best people I know, and yet they've had some of the most difficult trials in their lives. Bad things happen to good people. Good things also often happen to bad people. And I was a WSU Coug, and uh, so if you need proof of this, the uh, Washington Huskies have won the last six Apple Cups, okay? So it's true, bad, good things happen to bad people as well. And, and it's easy to think that when we look on social media, we watch the news, it's easy to think, hey, the world, it's, it seems like it's getting worse, okay? But as we read the scriptures, and we read specifically Paul's letters, we kind of get this idea that uh, the world is kind of cyclical, right? We go through mountaintop moments and we go through valleys. And uh, so maybe the world's not worse than it's ever been, but maybe it's in one of these uh, more unfortunate times. And so he kind of gets at this in the, his letter to the Romans. So if you want to turn to Romans chapter 8, we're going to look in there today. 
and it'll be on the screen as well, but we'll start in verse 18, uh, where he's addressing the Roman believers, the new Roman believers, and he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and then we'll stop there, because Paul is, what he's doing here is he's acknowledging their plight, okay, they were, these were Roman believers living in Rome, yes, that's where Romans live, okay, and uh, so they're living in Rome, and they're living in the shadow of Caesar himself, who didn't really care if they had their own religions, but he, he mandated that they also worship him as a god. And it presented a huge problem for these new believers who had been taught that the God of Israel was the one true God. And so it tested their faith. And as they stood firm in their faith, they also subjected themselves to some incredible persecution, some suffering. And Paul acknowledges that. He doesn't write it off as an unimportant. He said, for I, considering, for I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed in us. So he says, no, no matter how bad it is, and it's bad, no matter how awful it gets, and it may get terrible, it doesn't compare to how good it's going to be for those who remain faithful to Jesus. So he's trying to kind of encourage them in this. And let me read in verse 19. If you can go to the next slide, it says, For the creation waits with anxious longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, I can relate with this highlighted phrase, okay? Because when I look at the world and see all that's going on, I'm like, hmm, Jesus. <laughs> like, I know that I can't do it by myself. And I'm like, Jesus, come back. Make things right. Put things in order the way they are intended to be because I'm tired of seeing people around me suffer. And so maybe you can relate with that idea of anxious longing. And then he goes on to verse 22, and he says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. In other words, it's not just you who feels it. We all feel it together. We all suffer the consequences of our rebellion. You suffer the consequences of your rebellion against God. When I rebel against God, I suffer those consequences. And the problem is, is that we also suffer each other's consequences. So when you sin, it affects me. And when I sin, it affects you. And uh, sometimes these, these, these sins become so uh, widespread in a society that they actually kind of take on a national identity, right? They become things that we're known for, infamous for, right? And, uh, and sometimes these, these national groanings, to use Paul's terminology, uh, they, they really are the things that, that make life hard for us, right? We have the pains of national sins that haven't yet been healed. And if you think about the United States, it's not hard to come up with a few of them right off the top of your head, the things that we're still suffering from today. And so people being missionaries to Mozambique and people not really uh, knowing anything about Mozambique, they often ask us, hey, um, what's the hardest part of living in Mozambique? And uh, I say, you know, I mean, other than the cockroaches, which are terrible, and when we live in a city, and so we have cockroaches everywhere, you're not going to want to come, but it's really a great place. <laughs> we have, I mean, I've been in countries with cockroaches, okay? And usually when you get close to them, they kind of like scurry away, but not in Mozambique. They are kamikaze cockroaches, okay? And when you approach them, they will run towards you, okay? We had, in our apartment complex, we 
um, had a parking lot, and at night, when it got dark, they would come out, and so they were always in the parking lot. And um, one time, our colleague Matt, he was walking from his car to the apartment building, and one dive-bombed him, okay, and then it ran up his pant leg, all right? These are terrible creatures. <laughs> anyway, that's not the worst thing about Mozambique, but it's up there. <laughs> when people ask, what's the worst thing about Mozambique? Um, for me, it's an easy answer, because it's the corruption. It's the eighth most corrupt nation in the world, like I mentioned to you. And um, I want to tell you about Afonso, who is uh, a Mozambican that we're friends with. Afonso, he's a little bit, he comes from a little bit of a rare family in Mozambique in the sense that uh, they're lower middle class, okay? So unlike most people there, they weren't scraping by on a daily basis, all right? Now, unfortunately, families like, oh, oh there we go, families like his, uh, tend to arouse a lot of jealousy amongst the people around them. And there was a police officer who knew the family, and one day he let his, his jealousy drive him to do something unthinkable. He and a couple of his buddies kidnapped Afonso's father, and they took him out into an abandoned area where they shot him, and they poured gasoline all over his body, and then they lit him on fire and left him to die. And uh, amazingly, he actually didn't die. He got the flames put out slowly, and then someone found him, and they rushed him to the hospital, and uh, the doctors there, they gave a really grim prognosis. They said, we don't think he's going he's gonna to pull through this one. And yet, day by day, he started to make some progress, and more and more and more, until eventually, he, the doctors started to change their tone. They said, you know, we don't know how it's happened, but it seems like he's going to make a significant recovery. And it was an exciting thing. Now, the whole time he was in the hospital, uh, his brother, which would be Afonso's uncle, uh, sat by his hospital bed 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because the family knew that in Mozambique, if the officer ever found out that he had failed to finish the job, that he would attempt to return to silence that testimony against him. And so uh, he sat there and sat there. For two months, he sat there. And eventually, one day, he had got called away for some urgent business in the city. And so he was gone for two hours. And when he returned to the hospital, he found his brother, Alfonso's dad, dead in his hospital bed. The officer had been waiting, and he had seized his opportunity, used his authority to get into the hospital where he paid the necessary bribes, and then poisoned the IV, and got out again. And still today, he serves on the police force, never having paid for his crimes. I wish I could tell you that Afonso's story is unique, but the reality is, is that every day, millions of Mozambicans are suffering the consequences of widespread and profound injustice. Corruption is the national groaning of Mozambique. It, it affects and it cripples everything about the country. And it's modeled by the leaders. And the problem is, is that it's modeled successfully, right? So people see the success of their leaders acting like this, and they want it for themselves. So what do they do? They reenact those same tactics in their own lives, in their own smaller spheres of influence. And then corruption is not only then a, a, a big top-level problem, but it, it filters down into every level of society, all the way down into the family. And it breaks our hearts to see it, and it breaks God's heart, and we know that, and so we want to do something about it. And so we are specifically reaching out to university students in Mozambique. Now, you guys understand the importance of reaching out to university students. If anybody does, this church gets it, okay? But uh, what does that have to do with, with 
what we've been talking about. Well, um, not long after Afonso's dad was murdered, he would get a scholarship to go study at the country's top naval academy. And when he arrived on campus, he found a small group of students, and they were meeting together every week to study the Bible together. They were discipling each other in the ways of Jesus. And it was through this group that Afonso was introduced to Jesus and decided to put his trust in him. And then God started to heal his heart. And now, four years later, for the past four years, he has been leading his own discipleship groups on campus. And students have been flocking to Jesus as they've seen in Afonso a transformational faith and a bold life of dependence on God. We believe so strongly in the power of students. The reality is that um, less than 0.01% of all Mozambicans will graduate from college. It's such a small number that those who do graduate will step immediately into positions of great influence right away. I mean, they go from school to significance overnight. Not, don't forget all this like interviewing for job stuff, right? All right? And so students like Afonso are tomorrow's leaders in Mozambique. And because of the, what's been modeled for them, they're also inevitably tomorrow's oppressors, tomorrow's exploiters, and tomorrow's dictators. Unless Jesus can change their lives. If he can transform their hearts and their minds, if he can reorient their philosophy of leadership and replace it with his own model of servant leadership, then these students may not be the future oppressors of their nation, but they may be the future advocates for their people. We believe that if we can reach students, we can reach Africa. And so just to give you a, the briefest glimpse of what it looks like in video form, uh, I wanted you to take a look at this video, uh, give you some context for it. Go ahead and roll that. Our city has uh, 40 college and university campuses in the city alone, okay? And uh, God's been so faithful. I mean, the students have, have 
understood the purpose that Jesus has in their lives, and then they are excited about things. And so as a result, uh, God has allowed us to start discipleship groups on 30 of the 40 campuses so far. And um, we have a vision that's much bigger than just our city. Okay, we want to reach into every college town in Mozambique. We want to reach into other neighboring African nations, and we need a lot of help to do that. And so um, we started an internship where we could train Mozambican graduates in college ministry. And uh, we've had a few graduate now from that internship, and we've been able to hire our first three indigenous Mozambican staff members, which is awesome and is really going to take us uh, in the direction that we want to go. And so uh, awesome things are happening, and God's blessing it. And why is it successful? I think it's successful because um, everybody, all of us in this room and everybody around the world, kind of understands this common human condition, right? You understand the thing that Paul's talking about in his letters. He talks about anxious longing, and he talks about uh, pain and suffering and groaning. But both in Afonso's story and in Paul's letter, uh, we see a cure, kind of a cure for our gnawing dissatisfaction with the world. And, and it's this very antidote that God has been spreading amongst the students in Mozambique. And so what is it? What is the antidote? Well, Paul gives it a name, and he calls it something very specific. He calls it the revealing of the sons of God. Okay? In this chapter, Paul, he's looking ahead towards the the very end, right? He's looking towards the renewal of creation, the restoration of all things, the coming of the Lord Jesus. Um, But I think if we were to think that this only really applied to to the end, 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 uh, we'd really be missing out. And we'd, we'd probably just sit by idly and wait for it. And I think that would be a tragedy. And I think there's a reason that Paul didn't say, call it something else. He didn't say the cure was the return of the Lord, right? You might think that would be a logical one. But he didn't call it that. He didn't say that the cure is the resurrection of the saints. He said the cure is the revealing of the sons of God. Not something that could only be attributed to a distant future reality, but something that could be attributed to us right now. Because I'm a son of God, and I have the Spirit of God within me, and as a result, isn't there something that I can do now to begin to reveal Jesus to people before he returns in the flesh? And I think there absolutely is. And it's our students who are, who are just walking, breathing, living cures uh, in their country that are making it so successful. Um, I want to tell you a story a bit about Leona's birth, so if you get queasy, uh, you can hit the restrooms now. But anyway, um, Allison, she was late. Allison ended up having to get induced, and so um, from the beginning of the induction until the moment when Leona was born, it was 45 hours long, so it was a long one. And Allison had wanted to have uh, a natural birth, if possible, and I supported that. It's like, you get them. Uh, but I was also a little skeptical because, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know a ton about birth. I didn't know a ton about natural birth. But um, I thought of other natural things I know about. And i like, if it's anything like natural peanut butter, it's going to be disgusting. Okay? <laughs> and I was like, I hate natural peanut butter. So um, and it, here's the thing. It was. It was nasty, right? Because two, year, two days of, of intense back labor, man, I was like, she was in pain. I thought I was, like, losing my wife, right? And so eventually she asked for the epidural. And as they begin to... She was, like, 10 pounds, okay? She was, yeah. <laughs> Allison would like you to know that she was, like, 10 pounds. 
she was like a baby elephant. And anyway, so, um, <laughs> so she got the epidural, and as they started administering the medicine, it was crazy because I began to watch as like visibly her pain and her groaning and her suffering began to dissipate before my eyes. And what it did was it gave her the strength to go through with the rest of the delivery. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, you know, this isn't just about birth. Aren't we, as the people of the Spirit of God, also supposed to be like this epidural? All right? I mean, think about it. Paul uses this language in his letter. He says, all of creation is groaning, as in the pains of childbirth. Now, I don't know how Paul knew about the pains of childbirth. I'm guessing that because they didn't have hospitals, maybe he had some neighbors that were kind of going through the process at one point and like couldn't sleep because of their screaming or something. But anyway, he uses this imagery to describe uh, what we feel towards the world. And uh, you know, I'm thinking, we, this is what we're called to be because we can give the world the strength to carry on. We can help the world to make it to the end successfully, to, to persevere, to finish the race if and only if we do what's necessary now to help soothe the pains of the world. We can be the salve on the burn. We can be the gauze on the open wound. Now, the end is coming, and when it does come, those of you who trust Jesus are going to be in good shape, right? You get full, ultimate, final healing. But some around you are not going to make it that far. Because as we speak the world is bleeding out, right? And you, there's no question about that. You can just go on Facebook and you can see people's uh, things that they post and they are pleading for meaningfulness, right? Sometimes it's just, you read it and you're like, this is so annoying. This person's so annoying. They're always annoying. You know, but it's just a plea for some sort of, for some sort of meaning. They're crying out for relief from their suffering. So ask yourself, will the world around you have the strength to make it to the end? Or will you stand there alone? I hope you don't, because we are called to be the temporary relief. We're called to be the epidural that sustains the world until Jesus returns. So if you've learned anything in church today, um, you're called to be an epidural. Okay, let's make it real, all right? So here's a question I want you to consider. Who around you is groaning and needs relief? Okay, who around you is groaning and needs relief? Who needs... Allison, the epidural in their life. Who needs some more Bart Sonnenberg, the epidural in their life, huh? Okay? How can you give them a moment of respite from their discomfort? That's all we're asking, a moment of respite, okay? You guys have been uh, talking about crazy makers. I know you're in a sermon series called Crazy Makers, talking about difficult people. And the reality is that some of these people who are suffering are these crazy makers, right? Um, And so you may need to kind of suck it up and just love them. But anyway, but not all of them. Everybody needs something, right? And so there's someone in your life right now who feels like they're drowning, and I know that is true. There's someone who feels like they're drowning. What they need from you is just to be held above water long enough to catch their breath. And so I hope you can identify someone. I hope you can begin to identify how you might be able to help that person as well. And then if you have kids, I really encourage you to get your kids involved in the healing of the world because it's a crucial part of following Jesus and it's better that they learn it now than have to learn it later. Because God's calling you and he's calling your kids and he's calling everybody in this room to be a salve 
to the city of Moscow, okay? Now, for there's a few in here that are graduating, is that right? And then probably a handful more that are going, who's going home for the summer, all right? Which doesn't mean Moscow, okay? So a few more going home for the summer. All right, so I'm going to speak directly to you guys for a minute because um, you're kind of entering a transition phase that's a little bit dangerous, okay? It's a little dangerous to your faith because you'll go on from here and uh, you've probably been involved in Chi Alpha or you've been serving in this church and you just have been part of a culture that loves to love, that loves to serve, that loves to give of yourselves, that loves to sacrifice. And that's become part of who you are. But you're going to go out and you're going to start looking for a new church to be a part of. And as you go from church to church, you're going to start asking questions to like, all right, well, what is this church? Why would I choose this church? Or, you know, what, what does this church have to offer? And it's a dangerous question because it makes a subtle shift in your mind, all right? It's not a bad question, but it's dangerous, all right? Because the more you begin to ask, what does this church have to offer? What does this church have to give me? The less you're thinking about, what do I have to give this church? What do I have to pour into this church? How can I be a blessing to this community, right? And so um, I just encourage you to, to not let that consume your mind without you realizing it. I've, I was on staff with Chi Alpha at WSU for a long time, so I know and I've seen so many students who have graduated as incredible disciple makers. And then a few years later, I reconnect with them and they're not making disciples at all. Some of them have even walked away from their faith because uh, they just never started investing in their new community of faith. So I encourage you to do that. Don't let a single Sunday go by as you are church hunting Okay? Don't let a single Sunday go by where you're not adding value to that community. Whether you're praying for somebody or whether you're um, having a conversation where you're speaking life or encouraging people, don't let a single Sunday go by. Even if you never go back to that church, don't be a consumer there. Be a giver. Be a Jesus-oriented person. Okay, anyway, getting back on topic. Um, so hopefully you've identified someone around you that, uh, that you could be a bit of a relief to. But uh, now who else is the question, okay? Because Jesus has called us to make disciples of the people uh, directly in our path, but he's also said that we are called to the ends of the earth, okay? We're called to make disciples of people and to bring relief to people who are not necessarily right in our path. So how do we do that? Now, if you remember the story from Exodus of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, um, there were different bands of, of armies and raiders and things that would try to attack the Israelites. The first one that came upon them was the Amalekites, okay? And the Amalekites um, presented a threat, and, and the Israelite leaders recognized the need to engage these guys in battle. And so uh, Moses sent Joshua with the army out to fight the Amalekites. But he didn't go with them, all right? He went up onto a mountainside and where he could see the battle taking place down below, and uh, he took a couple guys with him, all right? He took a guy named Aaron and a guy named Hur, which is an unfortunate name for a guy. But anyway, he took them up there, and he noticed that when he raised his arms in the air, the Israelite army began to advance. They made progress. They started to win the battle. And then when his arms fell to the side, he noticed that the, uh, the tides turned and that the Amalekites began to advance and gain ground and, and win. And so he held his arms up in the air as long as he could, but then, you know, he got tired. And so what happened? Aaron and Hur come over, and they just hold his arms up in the air. 
And they hold them there forever until the Israelites actually claimed victory in the battle against the Amalekites. And so there's a lot of work to be done around the world, and it's not going to do itself, all right? There are a lot of people that are going to be called from here to there, somewhere around the world, all right? And uh, this is why your support and your prayer for missionaries is so vitally important, because there's a lot of times so much isolation in being a missionary, okay? You're in a new place, new country, you don't speak the language, you don't know anybody. It can be so isolating. But if you know that you have the financial backing, you know that you have the prayer backing, you know that you have the relational backing at home, then it gives you the strength to go through with the calling that God has placed on your life. And so for the past three years, you guys have been holding our arms up in the air. And as a result, together we've been able to, to change the future of this African nation. And we're so grateful for that. Grateful for those of you who, um, who invest in missions on a monthly basis. We know that as you give, you pray. And that's super important, okay? We know that because Jesus told us, you know, where your money is, there your heart will be also. And so if you're giving, we know you're praying for missions as well. And, and you are sowing seed and you are reaping a harvest in a place you may never visit and you may never see, but you're glorifying God in heaven through it. So thank you for what you do for missions. God has called you to be a light, a salve, a relief to Moscow, Idaho. He's called us to be a salve to Mozambique, and he's called our students to be a salve to Mozambique. And uh, I want to show you one more photo that I have because it's a picture of a day center. And it's a day center for street boys who are basically orphans or runaways in Mozambique. And uh, for the past year and a half, our students have been giving up their Saturdays to go and tutor these, these kids in their school subjects so they can reintegrate back into school. It's the future elite giving the futureless a future. Okay? It's, it's the future prized members of society investing in the most despised members of society. You would never see these two groups of people interacting normally. But God reorients perspectives and he changes our hearts. And I think, you know, if the future leaders of this country can have hearts of compassion for the least of these, for the people who are most forgotten and most ignored, then the future of Mozambique is bright. So imagine if the next generation of African leaders wasn't dominated by bullies and thugs, like is so often the case, but is men and women with the heart of God. How could that change the continent of Africa? So thank you. Thanks for dreaming with us of a better world. We believe it's possible, and hopefully you do too. Do you believe it's possible? Before you leave, if you want to stop by our table in the back, you can uh, grab a prayer card or a prayer magnet, and, and that'll just help you remember to pray for us, which would be super, super valuable, a blessing to us. Um, and then if you want to inform your prayers and not just pray general prayers, you can also sign up for our newsletter. Uh, with, there's some cards back there you can put your email address on. And uh, if you have kids, we believe in the next generation. And so we actually have a separate newsletter that we send just aimed at kids help grow in them a heart for God's mission around the world. 
So you can just write kids on the card and we'll get that to you as well. And most importantly, if you haven't noticed already, we have a bowl of roasted crickets. Fine Mozambican roasted crickets. Uh, so you can peer pressure your friends into trying one of those this morning. And then luckily you get to go right to lunch so you can wash it down with something later. But let me pray for you and we're going to be done. And then we can pray uh, for Mozambique together as well. So Jesus, thank you for this church and what this church does, not only in this community, but around the world. And I pray that every person who calls this place home would see themselves as instrumental to the mission of the kingdom of God. And I pray that you would speak today into each heart a specific way that we can stand up and hold up our fellow human being who's made in the image of God. So speak to us today and give us clarity to be able to see who it is that you're calling us to and a way to bless them. And we pray for Mozambique, God, as they suffer uh, through a, a lot of turmoil, and especially with these recent storms. Pray that you would just uh, hold them, hold them up in your right hand like you promised to do, God, and shine your light over them. Fill them with your warmth, God. Would, would they uh, not only be renewed and healed in a physical sense, but would they re be renewed and healed in a spiritual sense as well? Thank you for these students uh, in Mozambique who are sacrificing and giving of themselves to make disciples in their nation. And we pray that they would be multiplied abundantly over and over and over again throughout the generations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Hey, Weston, if I could keep you up here for yeah. just another minute. Um, man, I just really appreciate you and love you guys. And uh, man, I, I'm blown away by what God has been able to do for you. I, I want to say this, that, you know, as Weston said, there's kind of two ways to invest. You know, there's obviously praying and then there's giving. I would challenge you guys to really pray specifically. Take 10 minutes out of your day today. That's my kind of takeaway charge. Uh, you've, you've probably never thought about Mozambique, and you've probably never met Weston, but if you get a chance to, he's going to be back at the table. But really pray for 10 minutes, like intentionally. Um, at the end of the prayer, just, just say, you know, God, is there some way specifically that I can give or participate in the mission that Weston has really laid out, a mission to transform the leadership of a culture? Um, so Weston, just tell us uh, in just a you know, couple of minutes, like what are, what are the specific prayer needs that your, your family is going through right now? I understand that you're getting ready to go back and you're going to introduce Leona to her new home. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what are some of the needs that we could actually pray for you specifically? Yeah, I mean, we pray, pray for our language. <laughs> we have learned, but we need to learn better, of course. So that's an easy one. Um, as we go back, uh, not only are we going to focus on university students, but we're also going to kind of start a new initiative uh, where we can uh, reach people through the platform of community health. And so um, it's an evangelistic program that Allison is going to head up, and um, she's just going to be focused on mostly on women and children, but communities in general, and um, just kind of helping people to understand the importance of basic health practices, hygiene, etc things like that, and then sharing the gospel through that. Uh, so prayers for vision, clarity of vision, and then actually making that begin to happen. Yeah. That's good. So what is the, both the best thing and the worst thing you've ever tasted in Mozambique? Uh, let's see. I taste a lot of bad things. But, uh, oh man, the chicken is so good, you guys. We haven't had good chicken since we left Africa. Anyway. You ever been um, to Chick-fil-A? What's that? Even in Chick-fil-A. I know, it's crazy. But uh, the worst thing, what's the worst thing we've had? 
hairy. Yeah, the goat's always hairy. Uh, just not very clean about. Um, so there was one hairy thing goat. that there's it's one two words I never thought I'd hear together. There's a special. I'm not going to say it because we're in church. Uh, but there's part of the goat that they give to the guest of honor, and there's actually two parts of the goat that the they hair? give to the guest of honor. But um, anyway, yeah. Sounds pretty. It sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. No. <laughs> Not a Rocky Mountain thing. Yeah, I know where you're yeah. going with that. All right. Well, uh, Wes, thank you, Weston, so much. And Allison, you guys are amazing. Go check out their baby. Leona's beautiful. She's uh, probably downstairs sleeping, so maybe don't. I don't know. Whatever. But they'll be back in the back. Could you guys, um, we're going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're gonna, I know we went a little bit long today, but thank you for being patient. Come on up, and uh, we're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. Yes. Amen to that. And uh, so let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for just the blessing of being able to participate in worship by giving. And uh, Lord, it's just our joy to, to love you and to, to worship you, uh, Jesus. This is just such a great part of that. Bless each gift and every giver. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Some of you guys, by the way, as the offering bucket's going by, I get this question a lot, so I'm just going to let you know. If you choose to give online, by the way, thank you so much for your giving. Uh, one easy way to figure it out is just go to Canyon Creek Church, uh, Canyon slash uh, give. It's really simple, and it'll take you right to our giving page, and so you can just uh, set that up and give one time, give recurring, however you want to do it. Um, and also, guess what? You can give to our REACH program, which supports... West and Allison directly, and that's uh, something that I would encourage all of you guys to do as well. Um, go ahead and stand on your feet. My charge to you is really simple this morning. Are you ready? Go ahead and stand up. It's this, go and be an epidural, right? <laughs> Dear Jesus, may we go out of this place filled with your Holy Spirit to not just be hearers, but doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are awesome. We'll see you back next week at what time? Right. Okay. Peace out.